Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. It's good to be at Inspire, and it's good to see your face. Very excited for today. I'm going to just open up in prayer, and then we're going to jump in. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you, Heavenly Father, because you are the creator of all things, God. Heavenly Father, uh, you created um, everything that ever came into existence, my King. And Heavenly Father, you created this earth, Lord God, knowing that from your creation there would be a hill called Golgotha. You created knowing that there would be wood used to crucify your son. You created knowing that there would be a tomb where the dead body of your son would be buried, but it would only be borrowed because three days later he would rise again in a glorified body. You created all things, God. And Heavenly Father, even as we look at creation now, we have hope in knowing, Lord God, that one day paradise lost will become paradise restored and all of creation will be renewed. So Lord, as we begin to open up your word, I pray, Heavenly Father, that it will be like a light that turns on in a dark room and we'll be able to see clearly in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So we are in the middle of a series called Foundations, and if this is your first time checking out a message in the series, I highly suggest that you go back on YouTube or the podcast or wherever and, you know, catch up because this has been interesting. But basically, uh, what's happened is a survey has gone out, um, and this happens every year through an organization called Ligonier Ministries, and they send out this survey to a bunch of people, and they kind of get the temperature uh, for where people are uh, theologically, what they believe in, um, Christians, non-Christians, um, and they uh, published those results. And we also uh, took some of those same questions and we posed them to you here at Inspire. And then from there, we uh, created this sermon series called Foundations. Um, And these are just foundational truths of Christianity. And the reason this is important is because many Christians today, um, they don't really know the doctrine uh, that Christianity proclaims. Uh, They know something as far as maybe, you know, uh, Jesus died and rose again, which is important, and that's really all you need. But then when you begin to ask them, well, wait a minute, uh, what Jesus are you talking about? What, what, are you talking about another God? Are you talking about the Son of God? Are you talking about a special prophet? And you begin to realize that, okay, wait a minute, maybe uh, there's some things here that I need to grasp a hold of. And so this morning, what we're talking about is science and faith, science and faith. So I'm going to open up with uh, a couple of verses. First one is John chapter 1, and it goes like this, in the beginning was the word. See that? And the word was with God and the word was God and he was with God where? In the beginning. And then what does it say? Through him all things were what? Made. And without him nothing was made that had been made. See that? Psalms 111 verse 2 it says great are the works of the Lord they are studied by all who delight in him. 
You see that? Great are the works of the Lord, the works of God, the creations of God, and they are studied by all who delight in them. Wow. Has modern science disproved the claims of the Bible? Well, according to the survey that Ligonier sent out, 34% of the national survey, 34% of people agreed with that. They said, yes, modern science has disproved the claims of the Bible. And I want to present something for you today to consider and for you to determine on your own if you think, in fact, that is true. Um, because what it is, is we live in an age of scientific enlightenment. And so what society will tend to say is they'll tend to say, well, because we are so advanced in science, there is no room for God. That, God, that science has sort of uh, squeezed God out of the equation. Well, uh, this is sort of a God of the gaps sort of philosophy. What, what God of the gaps philosophy is, is basically it's the idea that, um, you know, as science progresses and, and there's these gaps that we're just not sure how things happen, but as we begin to learn more and more, we realize, oh, okay, that, 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 that all of a sudden God that was once there is no longer there. It, what I mean by, by that is this, is that, you know, there was a God that, you know, how, had grass grow and there was a God that caused rain to fall and there was a God that was the God of the rivers and the God of the snow and there was the God of the sand and there was the God of the air and the God of the winds and there was all of these gods and all of these sorts of things. But as science progressed and they began to, we began to learn how things function, then, then there's no longer the need to believe in a God of the grass because now we understand how grass grows. Or for instance, the Greek god of lightning disappears when you take your first class in astrophysics, right? And you begin to understand how lightning works, sort of the, 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 the discharges that happen in the atmosphere and so on and so forth. And, and so because you understand how lightning works, there, you no longer need a god of lightning. And I'll say this, that if that's how you define the god that you serve, then you're absolutely right. If that's how you define the God that you serve, you're absolutely right. But that is not the God of the Bible because it does not say in the beginning, God created all the bits and pieces that you don't understand. That's not what it says. It doesn't say God created all the bits and pieces that you won't figure out or that science won't tell you. It doesn't say that, but it says that God created all things. In other words, he is the creator of the whole show, the whole thing over it all. And my friend, that makes a huge difference and, have, and it has huge ramifications. And I think in a minute you'll see what I mean, even as it pertains to various scientific uh, discoveries or, or thoughts or even of evolution. Speaking of evolution, there was a, there was a zoo and, and they had their famous monkey that had just died and they weren't sure what to do. And, and so uh, they found a, a man that was desperate for work and they said, hey, listen, I know this is so crazy. This is weird, but, but listen, we're gonna lose sales. Everybody came for this monkey. Can you just do us a favor? Can you put on this monkey costume and you know, kind of go around the, the cage and just act like a monkey? You know, can you just do that? He says, uh, well, that is weird. How much you pay? He goes, listen, we'll give you 500 bucks for one day. $500 for one day? 
Okay, that sounds good. So he does it. He jumps in the monkey costume and all day he's, you know, running around and just playing around and throwing stuff and eating and doing, you know, just just acting like a monkey, just doing things that he felt monkeys do and people are passing by, you know, and and then he, he one, at one point he gets too excited and he jumps over and he does this flip and he lands in the cage next to him, which was a lion's cage. And as the lion creeps closer and closer to him, all of a sudden he, he starts screaming, he starts screaming and he takes off his mask. He says, help, somebody help, somebody help. And then the lion speaks and says, be quiet or we're gonna get us both fired. <laughs> you know, when it comes to science and faith or science and religion or science and the Bible, however you want to phrase it, I feel that oftentimes we can get so caught up uh, in the details of it that we really miss the bigger question that I think our culture is asking. Because we could get into things like the cosmological argument, which is an amazing argument. We could talk about the fine tuning of the universe, which is another great argument. We, We can talk about how nothing came from everything or the design argument. But really I think there's a bigger question than all of that, which is this, can science and faith coexist? Can science and faith, can you be a scientist and be a Christian? Can you be somebody that believes and appreciates science and what science does, but also be a man or woman of God? Someone that believes in the word of God, that stands on the truths of the word of God. Can you do that? And and our culture basically will make this statement. They'll say this, you can either choose science or faith, but you cannot choose both. You can either choose science or faith, but you cannot choose both. And we have scores of people who seem to wrestle with this exact persuasion. So this morning, I want to dispel that myth for you. And I want to start off by showing you two people, two people. One of these gentlemen that you see on the screen is named Peter Higgs of the Higgs boson. You guys are familiar with that, right? The other is E.T.S. Walton. He actually helped split the atom. Both of these men have won Nobel Prizes in physics. Higgs was an atheist, though, and Walton was a Christian. One of these men was an atheist, and one of these men was a Christian. And what separated them was not their science. They were both physicists. They both won the Nobel Prize in their field. What separated them was not the science, but their worldview. So the real question that faces us is not, is science and faith at odds with each other, but are their worldviews at odds with each other? Because they're both brilliant scientists. They both reach the top of their fields. The difference is, in one hand, you have naturalism, and in the other hand, you have theism. And there are scientists on both sides. So why do we seem to have in our society this apparent battle between faith and science? Well, it actually starts with a philosophy called scientism. 
Now, this isn't science or scientific, but the word scientism, which basically says that science is the only way to truth. Now, the problem with that statement is that it is self-contradictory because the statement is actually not a statement of science. So if it's true, it's false. I say this, if you think, wait a minute, what do you mean? Well, listen, there's a number that will be on this screen and Please, if you have questions throughout this talk, please text those questions in. And later on this week, Wednesday night, we will go on our social media and we will answer those questions that come in. But basically, if the statement is true, it's false. It's like saying, it's like if you make the statement, there's no such thing as truth. That statement, if it's true, then it's false. Maybe it's too early for that. We'll move on. Let me give you another example of an atheist and a theist, both scientists. First is this, the the atheist, he's a molecular biologist named Francis Crick, and he says this, he says, you, you, somebody say you, You. point at somebody say you, You. right, your joys, your sorrows, your memories, your ambitions, your sense of personal identity and free will are in fact no more than the behavior of a vast assembly of nerve cells and their associated molecules. As a scientist, he has this worldview, but not because he's a scientist, because he's an atheist. How can you say that? Well, because there's another brilliant scientist named Schogner, and look what he says, he's a quantum physicist, And he says this, science knows nothing of beauty and ugly, good or bad, God and eternity. Science sometimes pretends to answer these questions in these domains, but the answers are very often so silly that we're not inclined to take them seriously. See, science is great for what science does. But science is limited because science and faith address two separate categorical questions. Professor of chemist John Pockinghorn said this of Cambridge University. He says, science speaks to the how questions, while faith speaks to the why questions of life. Science answers the how questions, while faith answers the why questions of life. Let me give you an example. If somebody were to ask, why is that water boiling? Well, you could give a scientific answer, which, which would be, well, uh, you know, heat transfer causes H2, the H2O temperature to rise. And at a certain degree, the hydrogen begins to bond together and, and it begins to escape into gas molecules and causes this fluid to begin to boil. And that'd be a correct answer. But there's another answer to why the water's boiling, which is, well, I wanted a cup of tea. See, one answers how, and one answers why. Now, both answers are different, but both answers are correct. Both answers are different, but both answers are correct. So what do we do? Well, we look at the evidence. Modern science exploded in the 16th century under people like Galileo, Kepler, Newton. And C.S. Lewis summarized their works by saying this, check this out, men became scientific because they expected law in nature. 
and they expected law in nature because they believed in a law giver. You see, what this is saying is far from the belief in God hindering science. It was the motor that drove it. In fact, it is because of God that we can do science in the first place. It's interesting how in Genesis chapter 3, God told Adam to classify the animals. It wouldn't be until thousands of years later that science would call this practice taxonomy. But that's what it is. It had a beginning. When we talk about, um, for instance, the Big Bang Theory, in a very simplified explanation, it basically means that at one point there was no universe, then the universe began. That's basically what it means. And this actually, when they found out the results of the Big Bang Theory, this rocked science because up until that point, science believed and scientists believed that the universe was eternal. But they soon found out that that's actually not the case. The universe had a beginning. It is science that tells us that everything, pay attention closely to the words that I'm using, science says that everything that comes into existence had to have a cause greater than itself. Right? Everything that came into existence had to have a cause greater than itself. Well, the Big Bang Theory, or the cosmological argument, or whatever you want to call it, um, lets us know that the universe had a beginning and that the universe came into existence. Therefore, according to science, there has to be something greater than the universe. One might say, okay, well, if you deposit God there, then the question is, well, who created God? Well, it's kind of a dumb question. And here's why. You're like, wow, that's a pretty strong statement. Well, here's why. Because when you ask that question, then you automatically are changing the definition of God. It's like asking, where is the bachelor's wife? Well, asking that question means you have to change the definition of bachelor. When you ask, well, then who created God? You then are changing the definition of God because God is not a being that ever came into existence. Because he never came into existence, he never had to have anything greater outside of him as his cause. But he is the first and always will be the eternal first cause. He is God. He is God. Kepler, the astrophysicist, says this. The chief aim of all investigations of the external world should be to discover the rational order and harmony which is imposed on it by God and which he revealed to us in the language of mathematics. Now, if you're a pure mathematician, you really enjoy that statement. See, very often, atheistic scientists will say that we have um, this law, and because we have this law, then that explains it. We have this law, and that explains it, therefore we don't need God. But see, it's like this. The law of gravity explains what gravity does. But friends, we have no idea what gravity is. We know what it does, but we have no hypothesis at all for what it is. 
The philosopher of mathematics said this, the laws of nature describe the universe. They describe the regularities, but they explain nothing. They describe it, but they don't explain what it is. We describe what energy is, but we have no idea what what it actually is. We just describe what it does. But we have no idea what energy is. See, both faith and science actually complement each other because what they do is they bring about a greater understanding of the reality that you and I face, the reality that we're in, because it answers the what and the how and the why. John Lennox, professor of pure mathematics at Oxford University, says this, God no more conflicts with science as an explanation for the universe than Henry Ford conflicts with the laws of internal combustion engine for the explanation of the motor car. Catch that? See, but but scientism will say, no, 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 no. Listen, if you're going to explain the motor car, then you have to either believe in the laws of internal combustion or Henry Ford. But you can't choose both. It can't be science and faith. But yes, it can. And that's because people who are within the worldview of scientism or naturalism or ultimate materialism, whatever title that you feel comfortable placing on it, it's because they have a wrong definition of faith. Catch this. They have a wrong definition of faith. They say that faith is believing without evidence. But my friends, that's not true. Faith is a response to evidence, not the rejoicing of the absence of it. Not the rejoicing of the absence of it. See, if I were to tell you, if we were about to board a plane, right, and you're kind of looking at this plane and you're like, man, this looks pretty scrappy. Looks like somebody just got some, you know, hot glue gun and put it together. What, how, how did this plane came to be? And if I were to tell you, oh, actually, it's a really interesting story. Um, all of a sudden, a big tornado came through this junkyard. And when the tornado was done, here was this plane. It just randomly happened. First of all, you probably wouldn't believe it. Because you know that, wait a second, there's intelligence here. And so behind this intelligence must be intelligence and not some randomness. But secondly, you probably wouldn't trust it. You probably wouldn't go, I know I wouldn't. The very reason you're sitting on the chair that you're sitting on is because you have faith that that chair will hold you up. But that faith is the response to evidence. What evidence? It's you've, you've seen it do it before. When Jesus took bread and fish and fed over 5,000 people at the wine, at, and, and then he turned water into wine at the wedding of, of Canaan. When he began to do these miracles and the molecule structures within the water decayed, the carbon turned into wine. He took bread and fish, and as he began to break it, it began to multiply. And we call these things miracles. But notice why we call them miracles. We call them miracles, not just because, but because we understand that there have been scientific regularities. We understand the scientific regularities, and so when those regularities are broken, we then call that a miracle. In other words, we need the laws of nature in order to identify the supernatural. 
You get what I'm saying? You say, oh, the supernatural. What an irrational thing to believe in. Science doesn't prove that at all. Science doesn't prove the supernatural. You're so irrational to believe in the supernatural and to believe in miracles because science doesn't prove it. Well, actually, there are several things that science cannot prove, and yet we would be very rational to believe in them. Let me just show you what, what it is. Number one, metaphysical truths. Metaphysical truths. In other words, the idea that, well, there's other minds in this room but your own. You're rational to believe that. You're rational to believe that. You're rational to believe that the moment you're experiencing now um, wasn't just created five minutes ago. You're rational to believe that, but science can't prove it. Number two, ethical beliefs. You cannot show by science, for instance, that what the Nazis did in the camps was anything evil. Science doesn't tell you that if what they did was wrong. It just tells you what, it, what they did, but it doesn't tell you if it was good or bad or moral or evil. But yet you would be in your rational mind to think that it was evil. Even though science can't prove it. Aesthetic judgments, number three. If something is beautiful or ugly, that cannot be scientifically proven. And yet we are rational to believe in beauty. Right? If somebody were to say, oh, that piece of music is beautiful, or that art is beautiful, or this piece of chocolate cake in front of me is beautiful, that's what I'd say. <laughs> right? You wouldn't come up to me and be like, ah, oh, you shouldn't believe in it. You're so irrational to believe in something called beauty. No, of course not. You're very rational to believe in beauty and in ugliness, even though science cannot prove those things. And finally, number four, here's the kicker. Y'all ready for this one? Science cannot prove science itself. Yeah, because science cannot be justified by the scientific method because the scientific method is saturated with unprovable assumptions. For example, in the special theory of relativity, right? The entire theory hinges on the assumption that the speed of light is constant in a one-way direction between two points, right? Point A and point B or whatever. But that's assumed. It's not proven. These are just four things that science cannot prove, and yet you would be rational to believe in them. In fact, it was Charles Darwin himself who said that he had a huge dilemma. He said, if everything, including the brain, came from an undesigned, accidental, um, unguided natural process, then the brain itself cannot be trusted, which includes Darwin's own evolutionary theory. He could, and, and he said, this is a problem for me. It's a dilemma that I cannot fix because here I, I, I believe I'm seeing these sort of evolutionary markers, but at the end of the day, if I draw to the conclusion that, oh, because I see this, then that must mean that everything happened randomly and accidentally, then my own brain cannot be trusted, and which means this whole theory that I'm proposing can't be trusted. So what do I do? I submit 
that far from science having buried God, far from science, modern science, having proven or, I'm sorry, disproven the Bible and and the claims that the Bible make, far from that, that not only do the results of science point to God's existence, but the scientific enterprise itself is validated by God's existence. It's validated by God's existence. Even on something called evolution. Oh, I wish I had more time to get into evolution. We, maybe, you know, we can do a whole topic on it. But let me just narrow it down to this. When you begin to use the word evolution, you almost have to ask somebody, well, what do you mean by that? And if what somebody means is an accidental, unguided, random, purposeless process, if that's what they mean by evolution, then there are logical ramifications that come from that. There's logical ramifications by believing that. There's logical ramifications by saying this was all accidental, this was all random, this was all unguided. There's ramifications for it. Atheist biologist Richard Dawkins says this. DNA neither knows, cares, nor knows. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. DNA neither cares nor knows. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. I wonder if he would say that to terrorists. Because if that's true, then terrorists aren't doing anything wrong. They're just dancing to their DNA. Look what else he says. He says, the universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect it there to be. At bottom, there's no design, and because of that, there's no purpose, and because of that, there's no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. That's what he says. Nothing but pitiless indifference. Science is all about asking questions. Science is all about asking questions and and finding answers. But notice this, whenever a question is raised, it is either raised about a person or by a person. Whenever a question is raised, it's either raised about a person or it's raised by a person, from a person. Which means the questioner assumes that persons have intrinsic worth. They assume it. They assume, listen, your question is important to answer either because it's about a person or if it's not about a person, the fact that a person is answering it. I mean, asking it. And therefore, they have to assume intrinsic worth. And that is an assumption that cannot be made by a random evolutionary process. In fact, the more you see the inner workings and intelligence in the universe, the more you are faced with the awe and wonder of the mind behind it. See, when you look into the universe and you study it, you will, you will see both the fall and the ugliness of man and the beauty of Christ's love. And that actually culminates on the cross of Calvary. It is on that cross that you see the ugliness of what Christ receives, but you also see the beauty of what Christ gives. Psalms 90:17 says this, that the, it says that the beauty of the Lord is put on you. 
The beauty of God is put on you. So in other words, he doesn't look at your stained clothes and say, now you have to go wash it. And, and, and in your efforts, you're trying to wash your stained clothes so that way you can stand before him with no stains and, and, and all pure. And he says, no, you got to scrub harder. You got to scrub harder. He doesn't say that. No, no, no. What he says is this. He says, here, have my shirt. Here, have my shirt. Because he knows if you're going to sit there trying to wash it, what he knows is that that is just deadly doing. That is just deadly doing. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone, gloriously complete. There's more. The more that you see the beauty of what Christ did for you, the more you realize that you don't have to prove yourself or justify yourself, that all of the things that you were striving for aren't as important as you thought they were because you are satisfied in him. And the more you're satisfied in him, the more his beauty rests upon you. And if you truly believe, watch this, if you truly believe, if you make the claim if you make the statement that all human beings have intrinsic value, that all human beings have have inalienable rights, if you believe that, then that is something that scientism and naturalism and materialism cannot give you. Nor any other religion or worldview actually, I might add. Only when you have a God. Oh, I wish I could preach this. I don't got time. Only when you have a God who entered into humanity. Only when you have a God that took on humanity, that did not stand on the perimeters and the outside of the universe that he created and watched man suffer by themselves, but one that entered into pain and suffering and took on evil. Only when you have that kind of God who looked death in the face and then defeated it. Can you then have a rational foundation to make the claim that all humans have intrinsic value? And this is why we can sing, oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. Come on somebody. I see the stars and I hear the rolling thunder the power throughout the universe displayed then sings my soul oh my savior God to thee how great thou art how great thou art thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday you can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inspire Churches To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.